I've always been the literal worst at remembering to pack my lunch for work. I always think I'm going to do it the night before, but then I never do, and then I'm rushing out the door empty-handed every morning. That's all changed now, though, thanks to today's sponsor, Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to your cup, and then just blend or heat. Perfect to take to work when you're in a hurry, or just any day you want a delicious, healthy lunch. Daily Harvest's new savory harvest bowls are amazing and delicious and way faster than takeout. Their plant-based, ready-to-blend smoothies taste like dessert, but they pack in at least 10 grams of protein each, with no chalky powders. My current favorite Daily Harvest cup is probably the pineapple and matcha smoothie, but I also love their coffee and cardamom latte. Did I mention they have lattes? It just keeps getting better! You can go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code STORIES to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code STORIES for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. daily-harvest.com. Thanks, Daily Harvest! Hello! Welcome to Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Weldon. Today's episode is the next installment of the brilliant Firefly, Revolt the final book in our original trilogy by Daniel Hines. If you haven't already, listen back to books one and two of Firefly to get caught up. Today, we'd like to say a special thank you to Claudia and Ainsley and the rest of the Lynch family from Cork, Ireland, London and Jordan and their family, August and his family from Seattle, Claire, Millie and Harry and the rest of the Collins family, Clara and Elliot and their family from Ottawa, Eileen and Araceli Solorzano Bateson and their family, Joss and Nash and their family, and Huck and Turnip Foster Ewing and their family in Oakland. Thank you so much, Turnip, Huck, Nash, Joss, Araceli, Eileen, Elliot, Clara, Harry, Millie, Claire, August, Jordan, London, Ainsley, and Claudia. You are part of what makes it possible for us to continue to produce fun new stories for our listeners. Thanks! Enjoy the episode! The Brilliant Firefly Revolt Chapter 5 Car Talk Madison? The super containment squad is almost here. You gotta go. Why did you come back? Sharkskin had hurried across the lot and was helping Jill to her feet. You tried to save me. I couldn't leave you here alone. That's sweet, girls, but uh, we gotta get out of here. The siren swelled. The two bricks laid still, defeated. Come on, kid, the government will clean this up. We gotta go. Jill nodded and then had a sudden realization. Madison, please don't tell anyone about this. I won't, as long as you don't tell anyone I was nice to you. For a second, Jill thought she was serious, but then Madison snorted a laugh. After a second, Jill smiled back at her. Finally, Sharkskin grabbed Jill by the shoulder. This is great and all, but the authorities and I, we aren't exactly on what you'd call good terms. Kid, we gotta go. Jill nodded, letting Sharkskin lead her behind a building and away from the sirens. She waved at Madison one last time as they rounded the corner, utterly mystified by the day's turn of events. Once out of sight, Sharkskin helped her pry off the remains of her skeletal suit and stow them in an old burlap feed bag he found nearby. Back at the parking lot, they circled around a police barricade and made their way to Sharkskin's matte black SUV. 
He opened the hatch and pulled out a padded duffel bag, unzipping it halfway to show Jill the core inside. Even still in the bag, it was a beautiful piece of tech. Jill took it reverently, like she was being handed an infant. Here it is, he said. Not for nothing, kid, but if your gramps really is gone, what's the point of getting a new part? Jill hesitated for a moment. Sharkskin was obviously a criminal, but he had helped her out back there when the fighting had started. Besides, it's not like she had an overabundance of friends to spare. Grandpa hasn't been out again as Firefly. I have. Sharkskin's eyes went wide. You kidding me? Gramps knew? Not at first, but yeah, he knew. It's my fault he died, Jill said. She found herself launching into the story of the harpy, of the hostages, of the missile and the bunker and all the rest. By the end, she had tears standing in her eyes and Sharkskin was shifting awkwardly from foot to foot. That's something, kid, but don't blame yourself. I knew your Grandpa Jack a long time, longer than you've been alive. I'll tell you this for sure, he would have gone after the hostages, too. If he said different, it was only because he was worried about keeping you in one piece. Jill had known that already, but she had known it in a quiet place that she couldn't bring herself to believe. Hearing Sharkskin say it seemed to lift a weight off her chest. For the first time since the bunker, she took a breath free of guilt. The air tasted sweeter. You and your parents, Sharkskin said, shaking his head. All the people your gramps saved, you were the only three he ever loved. Before she could consider it, she wrapped Sharkskin in a tight hug. He patted her back awkwardly and then shooed her off. All right, one hug because I liked you gramps, but don't pull that again. He straightened his suit. So have you tracked down your mother yet? Jill shook her head, smile falling off her face. No. Any ideas? Sharkskin looked at her quizzically. Just use the tracker, right? Your gramps set that all up the first week you were in town. Trackers? Jill's heart leapt in her chest. Yeah, he said it was all working great. He turned back to his SUV and pulled out a hard black case. Inside were rows and rows of USB flash drives, all sticking up like a little graveyard. Sharkskin hovered his hands over the drives, mumbling to himself, and finally plucked one from the bottom row. Here you go, here's the software. Jill took the drive and stared at it, her own heartbeat pounding in her ears. Could it really be? A way to find Mom? The problem had seemed so huge she hadn't even considered how to solve it yet. Sharkskin, thank you. Don't mention it, kid, he said. Together, they carried the gear to Jill's car. Inside, her phone was buzzing madly. Specs, Jill said, hand flying to her mouth. In all the rush, she had forgotten about her lost earpiece. He doesn't know what happened. He must be freaking out. She grabbed her phone and shot off a text, reading through the dozens of messages Specs had left her. There's more brick at my shop, said Sharkskin. I can't go back there, not after this. I got a few places I can lay low, though. What about you? You shouldn't stay in that house. Jill was barely listening. She read Specs' messages with growing excitement. Do you have a place to go? Kid, do you? Jill looked up from her phone, a smile returning to her face. Actually, I think I do. Chapter 6. The Lighthouse I call it 
the lighthouse. Specs, this is incredible, Jill said, twirling into the room. It had been a few hours since she'd left Sharkskin as wary friends. She'd then taken the hyperrail to the address Specs had found in Giga City. The address had proven to be a skyscraper, one that reached up so high it had hurt her neck to look at. Specs then met her in the lobby, ushering her into a private elevator in the far corner. From there, they had ridden to the top floor. The elevator doors opened into the most beautiful room Jill had ever seen. It was similar to the bunker, with its giant supercomputer terminal, training area, and well-equipped workstations. There were a couple major differences, though. Where the bunker had been underground and thus a little dim and dark, this room overflowed with sunlight. It was square on three sides, but the far wall bowed out, thrust into the air like the prow of a ship. Across that prow was a single curving window, running from floor to ceiling. The computer terminal sat in front of the window, no monitors in sight. Grandpa Jack must have worked here, before he moved to the bunker, Jill said, running her hands over an engine-sized 3D printer. I don't think so, Speck said, sitting at the computer terminal. It's all pretty up-to-date, and your grandpa moved to Springvale when I was little. Maybe he came back and kept it updated, said Jill, but it sounded wrong even as she said it. Why would he bother when he did all his work from the bunker? Maybe, said Spex dubiously. If I could get the computer working, I could check the logs, but it won't turn on. Huh, Jill said, peering around the terminal. She couldn't help herself. If there was a tech problem, she had to find a solution. I assume you checked the power supply? Specs gave her a withering look. You may as well ask me if it's plugged in. Jill laughed. Fine, fine, sorry I asked. No, you're okay. I've been trying for hours and haven't gotten anywhere. You may as well take a crack at it. I'd hate to have to start unscrewing panels. Jill smiled sheepishly. She had already taken the Proteus tool out of her pocket, preparing to do exactly that. Sighing, Spex offered her his seat at the terminal. She sat down, cracking her knuckles theatrically. All right, watch the master at work. She reached for the keyboard, but before her fingers touched, the terminal flared to life. The window in front of them darkened to black and then snapped to life as the computer screen. How did you do that? Spex demanded. Uh, I don't know, said Jill. Spex looked down at her, eyes widening. Of course, the Proteus, he said. This wasn't your grandpa's space, it was your father's. I bet the Proteus is the key. It just needs to be next to it, like one of those new cars. Easy enough to test, said Jill. She picked up the Proteus from her lap and started to walk away. After three steps, the computer snapped off. Good call, Specs, she said, tossing him the multi-tool. He caught it smoothly as he slid into his seat. Jill smiled widely behind her hand. Spex had been working hard on his training, and he was getting better. A few months ago, he never would have made that catch. Spex laid the Proteus on the terminal and then started in when it flared back to life. So you said Sharkskin gave you some software? Yeah, he did, Jill said. She reached into her flight suit and pulled out the flash drive. Spex slotted it into the machine and began to scan it. When he was satisfied it wasn't some kind of worm or virus, he started the install. 
You think this'll work? Jill asked. We'll know in a second, Speck said, launching the tracker. A new section of the window darkened and a large rectangle showing a live satellite view of the Earth misted into view. It was beautiful. The entire world laid out flat, overlaid with real-time swirling clouds and crisscrossing flight patterns. To Jill, it felt mystical and abstract. Advanced tech always had that sheen of magic to it. Can you find my mom's signal? I think so. Sharkskin gave us the serial numbers. I just have to punch them in. Spex typed for a moment. Jill couldn't help but notice he was holding his breath. He pounded the enter key. The map hung still for a long moment, and then two pinprick dots of light appeared. Yes, it works! Spex cheered, fingers clattering over the keyboard. The screen split in half, showing a zoomed view of both dots. One was in Giga City, right over where Jill herself was standing. The other was floating over the Atlantic Ocean. Literally, as far as Jill could tell. From what the satellites were showing, Jill's mom was hovering in midair a few dozen feet over the choppy waters. Well, that can't be right. What's going on? I don't know, said Spex. Something about that patch of ocean. I can't get a better picture. What do you mean? It's like the satellites don't really look there. They pretend to, but it's just showing the surrounding ocean. Does this happen anywhere else? No. I think someone's hiding something. I think so, too. Maybe Firefly should pay them a visit. Read my mind, Specs. Some of the window was occupied by the computer, but most was still clear. Jill's attention was drawn to a cluster of flashing reds and blues congregating a few streets away. As she watched, an arching line of police in riot gear advanced on a figure in red and black. It was another brick, and it looked like it was one she hadn't seen yet. What did that make the count now? Six? Eight? She couldn't keep track. We can't help right now, Jill. Speck said, following her gaze. We need to fix the suit first. We need to get back to work. Jill looked over at the map, staring hard at that blinking dot. Somewhere out there, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, her mother was waiting, a prisoner of the Scarlet King. Was she okay? How was she being kept? Would Firefly be able to save her? The only way to find out was to fly in, blind and alone. Or was it? She started off across the lighthouse, her mind racing. Jill! Jill, what are you doing? Just what you said, Spex, she replied, pieces of the firefly armor clanging down on one of the metal benches. I'm getting back to work. To be continued. Today's story, the next installment of The Brilliant Firefly Revolt, was an original story written for you by Daniel Hines and performed for you by me, Amanda Weldon. Stay tuned for more Firefly next week. If you would like to support Stories Podcast and receive a thank you in a future episode, please visit patreon.com stories and make a pledge. Then send an email to amanda at storiespodcast.com and let us know who to thank. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening!